you have your Bibles, please behold God's living word by turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. That's page 558 in the pew Bible in front of you. We are getting close to the end of Ecclesiastes. We are at Heartbreak Hill. Uh, if you've ever run the Boston Marathon, that's mile 23 of mile 26. It's the hardest part. But the Lord get us through it. I have never run the Boston Marathon. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. <laughs> We've heard throughout the word uh, in Ecclesiastes uh, that we are to fear God. And we've learned through Proverbs that the beginning of wisdom is to fear God. And, uh, but today, we're going to think practically. How can we as Christians become wise? How do we live in this life wisely? Uh, this is practical. This is kind of the driving point of the text today. Now... Hopefully this is helpful, but it's clear throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that there has been this discourse of wisdom literature. As the preacher has been giving us information, observations, his experiences in this life, and they've proved profitable for our souls. And I'm grateful for the work of God uh, through his word in our hearts. But this feels today a little bit more proverbial, a little bit more uh, common wisdom literature, how we are to live. And so uh, to kind of build a framework before we get into the word of God, I, I want us to think about two handles that we need to hold on to that your heart can grip so that we can understand the text for today. Just kind of like you would hold on to two handles on a bike. The first one is this, for the Christian... As we talk about living a life of wisdom, we need to remember that we cannot, in our own strength, live wisely. We are unable to. Uh, we desire to, but our flesh stands in the way. We're incapable of it. So it's good for us to remember this. Uh, a lot of us try to do it, and it only brings frustration and heartache, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you're sitting there and you desire to live wisely, you desire, desire to live faithfully, but you find yourself tired, striving in your own flesh. Well, I pray that the word would remind you today to be encouraged how we can actually walk in wisdom. That's, that is the way that man thinks, thinking he can do it by himself. But this is the second handle I want us to remember today uh, before we get into the text. If you are a Christian... God has given you new life in Christ. Uh, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as our brother has already read and we have prayed today, uh, is this. It talks about the way that man thinks and the way that God thinks. Verse 26, it should be up there on your screen. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God cho chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Verse 30, this is crucial. And because of him, Christ, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, 
righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You are in Christ, beloved. You have a new mind and a new heart. Romans 8 reminds us, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Romans 6, for if you have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We have this beautiful, powerful True union with the Lord Jesus. You have been united with Christ in death, life, and resurrection. You are not alone. That's what that means. You are not by yourself. Jesus is with you. He is not only your Savior who stands in the way to pardon sin, but he is living life as your helper in you, faithfully. Your companion, as it says in Psalm 46, exerting his power, his righteousness, his influence in you and through you on a daily basis. You cannot be separated from his hand, as it says in John chapter 10. In this life we now live, as Paul says in Galatians 20, we live by faith in Christ who lives in us And this high priest is always praying for us, Hebrews 4. Even as we sleep, he dwells in us, he's living in us, he's praying for us. We have to hold on to that handle before we get into the wisdom literature of today. Now, remember what the preacher said back in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Uh, He said that all of this I have tested by wisdom. And I said, I will be wise. That's the desire of man. I will be wise. But it was far from me. Wisdom is far from us all. And we must remember that. It's not in you. It's not near you by itself. So we must go to Christ. The Christ that we just talked about through the scriptures. Who Paul wrote about. Who who the gospels testify to. Christ is our wisdom and he is our righteousness. So how are we to benefit from this wisdom passage? Well, we must remember that we can't implement it all in the flesh faithfully. But we can apply this wisdom through faith in Christ to our daily lives. And that's where we're going to kind of end up today as we work through this passage. So uh, we need the Lord. I need the Lord to preach. You need the Lord to listen. We need the Lord in all things we do so that he is magnified in us as he's working his wisdom out through us. The the main point of our passage today is very simple. You'll be able to remember it around your dinner table tonight. Wisdom is better in all of life's circumstances. Wisdom is better in all of life's circumstances. Now, the preacher has, through the last section of Ecclesiastes, where we are, he has given great value to wisdom. Uh, Even despite saying that the fool and the wise person end in the same spot earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, we all end in the grave. Wisdom is better. And uh, in verses 13 through 16, the preacher gives us a story to help us understand the benefits of wisdom, but also to help us place 
wisdom in this life under the sun in its proper context. So look with me in this parable of wisdom here in verse 13, and we're going to end in verse 18 in this first little section. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his own words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much. What is going on there? Well, I want to hopefully provide the simplest explanation that I can. This is just a general truth about wisdom, and I've tried to summarize it for uh, our appetites today. Wisdom is better than foolishness, though a little foolishness can undo wisdom. That's what those first five verses are saying. This story in chapter 9 is a really strong and powerful story. Uh, in verse 16, wisdom is better than might. And he says the same thing in verses 17 and 18. So despite there being this great king uh, with all of his tactics and all of his power, he couldn't conquer this little city. What, what should have been an easy victory to him actually was overturned by a poor wise man. Uh, maybe the story of David and Goliath is creeping up into your mind right now. Uh, uh, an unlikely victory. The, the irony is it didn't even creep up, creep up in his own son's mind uh, as he's writing this, but it crept up in my mind. The flying rock is greater. It's more wise than a sword in the hand. But the preacher doesn't share how he was victorious. He just shares that he, this poor wise man was victorious. And so there's a few takeaways for us to get from this story so we can work our way through the text. By stating that he's poor, it emphasizes his wisdom. So wisdom is greater than money. The, the world thinks money is better, but wisdom is greater, the preacher is saying. Number two, by stating that the, uh, the other king has might... He's saying that wisdom is greater than power. Another uh, benefit that the world sees is power uh, and armies and strength, but not the wise preacher. And number three, despite the great victory, listen to this, the poor man is not remembered or heard. So, so wisdom is better, but by itself, it's not ultimate. It doesn't always give you the results that you want. Uh, there's not the respect always tied to it, and it's not always remembered. But let me say this, wisdom is always needed, and it's always valued in the eyes of God, even if it's not valued in the eyes of the world. It's always the better way. Now, look with me at the end of 18. This is fascinating. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. 
So weapons aren't as strong as wisdom, but do you know what is strong as wisdom or stronger than wisdom? One little sinner or one little sin. Just a little bit of folly, one sinful decision can mess up the work of a whole lot of wisdom. You guys ever experienced that in your life? It's easier to destroy something than it is to build something. Uh, driving on 35 over the last couple of weeks, I saw this tower that probably took over a year to build. It took three days to tear this tower down. And every day I was like, they're knocking it down more and more. Just a little bit at a time. It was easier to take down a building than it was to put it up. One hasty decision. One foolish moment. And this little bit of foolishness can do so much damage. So it's good to be wise. Wise defeated the, this king that came against him. But there's a warning there. That a little bit of sin from one sinner can destroy much. In fact, he gives an illustration in verse 10 of this parable. He says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs the wisdom and the honor. So just... One little fly or a couple little flies in this beautiful perfume-smelling ointment can make it stink. It can spoil it. Just like a dead fly can smell up your house if you have a lot of dead flies, which we did one time when we lived in Salina, Texas. Have you ever had a salad brought to you or a, a, a wonderful meal brought out to you and it's, you cannot wait to get into it in your first bite? There's a hair, Right? just one little thing that can really destroy something that is meant to be good. And that's what he's saying here. That's, that's what he's saying. He continues on in verses 2 and 3. He simply gives us the charge not to be fools. Uh, verse 2, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. The paths for the foolish people and the wise people they are different paths. And that is the primary thing he's saying. It's a totally different journey uh, with different endpoints in it. And if you are a fool, everybody can see it. Look at how, what it says there in verse 3. Everybody can see it because you're saying it to everyone that you're a fool. This is what he's saying. Whether he's talking about an actual path or this is some metaphor for life. The results are intimately woven together. There's a, a, a wise way of living and there's a foolish way of living. And then the preacher breaks down these four general areas to apply this general wisdom to. Uh, how does life work? How do we respond uh, to these things in life with wisdom? Now, this chapter is messy, it's difficult, it's like soup, there's not a whole lot of order to it. I'm going to do the best I can to make order uh, to chapter uh, 10. Uh, one, one theologian said it's probably one of the hardest chapters in the Bible to preach, and I thought, might as well get that knocked out year one here at First Irving. So look with me, there's four responses. The first response is found in verses 4 through 7. And you'll see, we're going to highlight the wise response, but there's always a foolish response there as well. 
But the wise responds to authority. Look with me in verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun. And as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Verse 6. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses, and I've seen princes walking on the ground like slaves. So how, how do we respond to the authority over us? Well, in verses four, or excuse me, five through seven, the preacher explains situations in which foolish people are in places of authority. Now, I, I think you can apply that to your own lives and what you see in this world right now. I don't think I have to go in to a lot of application. You can think of a variety of settings. Uh, these are people who are elevated too quickly, ill-equipped. Uh, they're either incompetent uh, or they abuse their power or there's character issues. Uh, but notice, notice what he says in verse 6. The fools are set in high places, leading and ruling, and the rich are in low places. And we've seen in the book of Ecclesiastes that the rich are not always favored in society. Not always favored by God. But I would, I would contend that this word rich here means those who manage things well. Those who are competent. Those who can bring order to things. They're not always in the position that they ought to be. And that's kind of what's going on here. But he actually gives us a way to respond in wisdom. Look with me in verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. That means continue operating in the position that you have. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Don't panic. Don't, don't walk off in a fit of rage. Don't be bent in pride. Don't take matters into your own hands. When we have wisdom, God-given wisdom, this is how it flushes out right here in verse 4. When we deal with the fools over us, we respond calmly and with the character of Christ. We recognize fools and we do not react the way that man naturally reacts. And let's consider the example of Christ. First Peter chapter 2. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He's reviled with the tongue, the tongue that he made and said nothing back. Calm. Entrusting himself to the one who is his father, ruling over all things. And beloved, this is our responsibility to trust, to trust God, to be faithful with wisdom as we apply it to our lives. We know that responding with calmness actually has good effects. We know that it has bad effects if we don't. We know that it has good effects if we do. If you're married, if you've ever been in a spat, you know that if you meet your partner there, or a friend there, it isn't going to go well. But if you respond with wisdom, you can dis diffuse and disarm the situation. That's simply what he's saying here. 
Uh, number two, there's a wise response to work. Well, uh, look with me in verses 8 through 11. He also talks about foolishness here as well. Verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Well, in verses 8 and 9, we see that every bit of labor entails some amount of danger and risk to it. Uh, we don't have to have these manual labor jobs like they're describing here to understand that there's always a risk to the work that we do on a daily basis. Every job has surprises to it, so we can all kind of understand a little bit about what he's talking about. But the examples, they're really, they're really illustrations. Here's what they are. A tunnel collapsed on a digger. That's what he's saying. A carpenter breaks through the wall, and there's a snake on the other side of the wall, and it bites him. A, a mason falls on the same rocks that he is sharpening. A lumberjack misses the stump. And the blade goes into his leg. Work is hard. Work is hard in this life. We've talked about life under the sun, east of Eden, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, the world is subjected to frustration, to work. This is a part, do you guys remember Genesis 3? This is a part of the judgment of God against man. Work is difficult, and he's simply describing it here. But he wants us, in verse 11, to think about the finish of our work. Look with me there. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. So if you have work to do, what Solomon is saying here is go ahead and complete the work. Uh, risk increases when you delay. We see that the wise work it takes more time at the beginning of their work. If the snake charmer took time to do the full work of charming the snake, he wouldn't have gotten bit, is what he is saying. Now, he wants us to finish well, but notice what he says in verse 10 about starting well. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength but wisdom helps one to succeed. So in this example, wisdom has the same effect of sharpening your axe before cutting the wood. Have you ever cut wood or cut carrots or cut something with a dull blade? It requires a whole lot more work in the middle of it. And it's longer work and harder work had you not sharpened the blade before you started the work. And that's what wisdom looks like here Applied Living wisely for work takes more time at the beginning than it does and should in the middle. And it has benefits to it. So we are called to prepare for work. Prepare for work. How do you prepare for work in the course of your life, in the course of your day? Do you first reset your mind and your heart on the wisdom of God? Do you meet with the maker of the universe to remind you of who he is and remind you of who you are? Do you consider the work that you have to do in a day and do you take it to the Lord in prayer? Uh, do you sharpen the blade of your heart before you go off to work? That's essentially what he 
is hitting at, at its deep point. Jesus speaks about this in Luke chapter 14. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? Whether he has enough to complete it. Verse 29. Uh, Others, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Whether it's a tower that's getting built. uh, Whether it's a tunnel that's being dug and not thinking about an escape route. If there is a collapse. Uh, or sharpening your axe, or preparing your own heart as a teacher, or a businessman, or whatever it looks like, we do well to start our day with wisdom, and we do well to walk in wisdom throughout the day. Now, he moves us along to another wise response, and that's the response of speech in verses 12 through 15. There's also a foolish uh, speech attached to it as well. Uh, Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. Verse 14, a fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Talking about a wise man and a foolish man. So you see here in verse 12 that the wise man's words win him favor and the fool's words destroy him. Well, notice in verse 12 that wins favor. If we were to look at the original language, what, it, what it's saying there, it's not just wins favor. It actually more deeply means he speaks with grace. He speaks with kindness and compassion. And it benefits him, and it benefits those around him. Uh, Gracious speech like this stems from a deep-rooted humility and a fear of God, knowing who is over all things and how one ought to speak. It's actually quite sobering what the preacher says in verse 13. He says, the lips of the fool are perceived as folly at first, but the more he talks... The more he goes unchecked, his speech is actually revealed as evil. He he doesn't know the things because he doesn't begin with the fear of God. So his words have set many traps for him. And the people see it. The people know it. And look what 14 says. It says, uh, the fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what is to be. That means he is talking about things that he doesn't know. He's going on about things he shouldn't be talking about. He's looping over and over again. And look where it leads. At first, it's just revealed as folly, like what is this person talking about? But actually, if we jump down to verse 20, it shows us what the mature version of that looks like. He says, even your thoughts... Do do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Look at the evilness that he has when he is speaking. This folly becomes cursing and, and grumbling. This is how it matures. Even when he's speaking about the authority over him like the king, 
even if you have identified something that is true, something that is wise, there is a proper way to speak, to be gracious like the wise man who wins him favor. Titus 3 tells us that we are not to speak evil of anyone. Do you find yourself multiplying your words? Uh, do you find yourself talking about things that you don't know? Using yourself as the reference point rather than the scriptures, rather than God's words himself. Do you, do you find yourself bickering and complaining? The scriptures talk about this over and over and over again. I, I want us to remember when we speak, it's not just bad. It's not just foolish. It's actually sin, and it's revealing something that's in our heart that needs to be confronted, that needs to be repented of, that needs to be addressed, that's revealing, whether it's a fear of man or it's the pride of life, whatever it is, we need to pay attention to it. We want to consider Jesus here who always spoke with wisdom and grace we see in Mark chapter 2, the people are confounded by the wisdom that's spilling out of his mouth. He's like, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? The words of Christ are wisdom because Christ himself is wisdom. And the application for us is very, very simple. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. Why? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Eating up the word of God so that we can speak with wisdom in all situations of life. Look with me, the final little section. The fourth response, general area of life, verse 16 through 20. The wise response to national leadership. Wise response. To the, now, we've seen government is a regular theme in Ecclesiastes, and here he mentions this again. Verse 16, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens heart, or excuse me, gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some ring creature, to tell of the matter. So here's the point: the wise leadership in the country is a blessing. Uh, we see this in 17. Uh, nobility, and the people are glad. Uh, foolish leadership is a problem. It, it, it's a leadership that focuses on partying. Look what it says in 17. We want leadership that's focusing on strength and not drunkenness. Leadership that is about the things of life, the things of the world, the things under the sun, the things that, that man finds is wise. Well, it is a catastrophe for the ones that they lead. And so we want to have 
prudent, wise leaders, national leaders who put things into order, uh, not those who are self-indulgent in their interest, not neglecting the things that need to be fixed, like the examples he gives, the roof that's sinking in and the house that's leaking. These things aren't tended to under leaders who are drunk and not considering their people. So the result of good leadership is found in verses 17 and 19. See with me very quickly. There's a glad people because they have a good king and they're thankful. And what does a good king provide them? Look with me in verse 19. And we see this theme coming up again. Bread is made for laughter, wine for the gladness of heart, and money answers everything. So whether you eat, drink, whatever it is you do, do it for the glory of God. These are the good things in life that we can hold on to. Now, uh, he's not talking about money answering all questions here. We, we know that uh, what Paul said to Timothy, that the root uh, or the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What he's simply saying here is that when you have good leaders, you have a flourishing economy and nobody's going without. You have bread and wine and people are working. They're thankful for their leadership, so on and so forth. So national leaders ought to be wise by being prudent, putting things in order and dealing with things. And civilians ought to be wise in what they say about national leaders. That's essentially what is playing out right here. We're not to bash them. Uh, We're not to do that in private or in public, uh, thinking that we're doing a good job revealing their sin, but in the long run and in the short run, in reality, what's happening is, is our sin is being revealed. No matter who the leader is, Paul gives us really good instruction in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that we are to pray for our leaders, that they would be saved, that they would know God that we would not use our lips to complain about bad leadership, but that we would use our lips to pray that they would know the living God and be saved. Why? So that we can have and live quiet lives in this world. Helpful application for us to consider. So in closing, as we're wrapping this up quickly, this passage describes wisdom for our lives. And I want us to think about this. This is different than the way that man naturally thinks. Uh, naturally think. Man thinks the opposite way. This is, this is counterintuitive. But we're supposed to be calm in the face of leadership. We're to, we're to be proper in our preparation for work. Gracious in our speech. We are to honor the king, our natural leaders. How do we do this? How in the world do we do this? That's the question. Well, I want us to consider just a few things very quickly. The first thing is this, be humble and recognize that you need help. You need the help of wisdom. You cannot find wisdom on your, on your own. Uh, you cannot attain wisdom. You remember what Proverbs 26 says, verse 12? Do you see a man who is in his own eyes is wise? There is more hope for a fool than for him. We're pitied by the fool If we think we are wise by ourselves. Number two, be honest and admit that you are a sinner. Admit that you are a sinner. All of these little warnings about foolishness uh, are actually based, beloved, in sin. 
Verse 18 again, wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Uh, the one who doesn't prepare for work doesn't think about the people he works with. Uh, the, the people who, who speak evil of the authority over them are just revealing their own folly and even deeper than that, their own sin, their own jealousy, their own pride, their own whatever it is, whatever the sin is. These four examples that we've talked about today show how a sinner destroys much good in his responses, no matter what those responses are. So sin, beloved, is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Sin is trespassing the moral and holy law of God. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, each to his own way. And if you're sitting there going, I just sin a little. I've only said a little. James actually says something back to you. Hold on, here, here it is. Whoever stumbles in one point is guilty of breaking the whole law. Sin is a big deal. Just a little bit of sin from one little sinner is a big deal. So have you admitted that in your own heart, that you're a sinner? If you are not a Christian, uh, sin is when we trespass the law of God, when we miss the mark. All the brokenness you see in your life, in this world, that's what it is. All the decisions you make, the bad responses you have, all the pride of life, all the bad decisions you make. All the, the ways you hurt people, that's sin. But there's some really good news. We are able to be wise by turning to Christ by faith. We are able to be wise by turning to Christ by faith. This is actually counterintuitive to us. Uh, why would we turn to one who is despised and rejected? Why would we turn to one who is meek and lowly and who is poor? Man doesn't do that. Man never has. But by wisdom, with the spirit working in us, this is how we know it's not man's wisdom. This is the wisdom of God working out in us. We can turn to him. The intuitive wisdom of man is just like Samuel when he's like going to pick out a new king for Israel. And he's like, Jesse, let me see your sons. And seven strapping sons walk by him, very similar to myself. And he's like, no, 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 no. And God is like, none of these guys are him, but it's that one who's in the field. He's a shepherd in the field. Because he, man, God does not look on the outward appearance of man, but on his heart. God just flips wisdom upside down for us. We naturally look for a conqueror. We naturally look for a strong man. Israel naturally looked for a greater war king than David to deliver them from Rome. But what God provided was a humble, meek carpenter from Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. You want to bet? The son of man comes out of Nazareth to come and to, to free us. It's counterintuitive wisdom of God. Consider the parable of the wise king again who delivered a city but was forgotten. Does that not sound like our Christ who was prophesied in Isaiah 53? He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. 
no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and he was not esteemed. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The gospel is marked by this humility, this, this, this weakness, this, yes, wisdom from God. So if you are not a Christian, I would encourage you to turn to Christ today. Deliver. Now you will be delivered. Christ delivers us from the great army who lays up siege work all around our little hearts. But a wise, poor king takes up residency in our hearts and he overcomes a greater, with a greater victory, he beats sin and death, and he saves us. And then finally, number four, be wise by walking in Christ by faith. So, so Christ saves us, our sins are pardoned by him, but we can also live this new life. We're saved to be faithful ambassadors who carry the name of Jesus with us. You remember 1 Corinthians 1.30? And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom to us from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Wisdom is found in Christ, and we need wisdom every day to walk out this world. How do we do that? It starts with prayer. God, help me. Help me to live out wisdom Every single day, in everything I do, you, beloved, cannot do it. I cannot do it in my flesh. But the power of God through Christ and his spirit can. How often do you pray for such wisdom? To have the mind of Christ, to apply it to your life. How often do you pray, God, I want the wisdom of Christ in this decision? In how I treat my spouse or my best friend or how I come into this worship center. Whatever it is, whatever we do, we need his help. And we have not because we ask not. So often we complain and murmur and we do not pray. We must pray. And we pray until Christ is formed in all of us. Beloved, the gospel is, yes, that we are saved by grace through faith. But the gospel continues that Christ is formed in you to maturity. And the wisdom of God is then worked out as we walk with him and we learn him and we grow to know him all the days of our life. And we learn who he is through his word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, beloved. Eat the word. Love the word. Don't go to it in the morning going, I'm supposed to do this. You can't live without it. It's more important than bread. So eat it. And in it are the words of eternal life. And they're good for us. And beloved, let's pray. And then we'll respond. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to know these things by faith so that we can apply wisdom to every area of our lives. Wisdom is found in Christ. We turn to wisdom for wisdom. 
Help us to do such a thing, Father. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.